Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Hello, I'm, I'm your host, as you said, Elaine miller Karras. Our show today is called Positive and Adverse Experiences in Childhood and Healing is Possible. In a few moments, you will hear from our guest today, and I'm so honored to have her. She's done so much with an organization called ACES Connection. So Jane Ellen Stevens is my guest, and she's the founder and publisher of acesconnection.com and the news site called acestohigh.com. The site focused on the science of positive and adverse childhood experiences called PACES. And I'm very excited that she's going to be sharing PACES with us today because she's added the P, which is positive, and how building and how people are implementing health-centered resilience building practices based on adverse child experiences science. And what we plan to do in the first half of the show is she's going to talk about that science and about the basics about ACEs and PACEs. And the second half of the show, we're gonna bring in some kind of current events and her perspectives about how um, adverse child experiences impacts our behaviors. So I wanna tell you a little bit about how I first learned about ACEs. Um, in the late 90s, up until I think it was, oh my goodness, um, 2006, um, I was a teacher of family medicine at Arrowhead Regional Medical Center in San Bernardino County. And my job was teaching behavioral sciences to family practice residents. And when I first encountered the publication that was by Dr. Uh, Folletti and Dr. Anda, I was like said, amen, hallelujah. Because finally there was some science that was backing up what we were seeing in our family medicine clinics. And that people would come in saying, my stomach hurts, my head hurts. Um, and then the doctors would say, there's nothing wrong with this person. It's all in their head. I said, well, it could be in their life. And that was before the study came out. So I, my job was to say, go back in, find out what's happening to them. And they'd come out, oh my gosh, there was a drive-by shooting. They've had a really hard life and um, their son has just been sent to Iraq. I mean, all sorts of things like that. So that study really has what, to me, it has started a public health um, movement and Jane Stevens has been at the head of it. But I also want to just say, simply stated, what happens to you as a child influences your long-term health and well-being. And it can also determine your perspectives, perspectives about the world, whether you view your world in the lens of fear or love. So fast forward to the last three weeks in the United States. We have been tumultuous, to say the least. Many of us sat in horror as we witnessed a mob take siege to the Capitol. Then a week later, or two weeks later, we, wist, we witnessed a day of celebration as many Americans came together to acknowledge the inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Can there be a link between our worldviews and behaviors and adverse childhood experiences? I think Jane will share some of her perspectives about this. Um, and also the science that she has really worked hard to bring to our world community. So Jane, welcome. And as we start, I always start with this question. I know we have lots of planned questions, but what, what are you thinking right at this moment as we've just finished this introduction and our chatting time together? <laughs> well, it's, it's been absolutely terrific to be able to talk with you and spend this time. And, um, and what I think about, I think every day is the people who, um, 
aren't as fortunate as I am in having been able to get through all of my childhood adversity um, and, um, and have lots of healing mechanisms in place, both in friends and, um, and professionals. Um, and so I'm doing everything that I can to, to pay it forward and to help more people in this. And Jane, I think that brings us kind of to the, our, my first question is, what prompted you to start ACES Connection? So I'm a journalist and uh, a science journalist, and I have been for many years. And years ago, I covered the, uh, a story when the CDC decided that violence was an epidemic. epidemic. And, um, and they were taking the same approaches that they had taken to smoking and car crashes to violence. Um, and yet there was one piece that just didn't make sense to me, which was that if there was a family and one person killed somebody or was killed, um, um, and uh, that person had three siblings, and those three siblings didn't do that, why not? And, and I could never get a good answer until the ACE study came about. And then I realized, oh, um, maybe those three other siblings didn't have um, uh, any violent tendencies or weren't victims of violence, but maybe they were obese or maybe they were um, addicted to alcohol or maybe they were even an overachiever um, and they all paid the piper. So unless there was some sort of intervention, a positive intervention. So Jane, did you have a personal story that also um prompted you to be so interested in this? <laughs> Seeing a little smile across your face here. I don't know if everybody can see your smile. <laughs> so um, indeed it did because it sort of, um, uh, the ACE study hit me in, in two areas. One, I finally got the answer um, that I'd been looking for and why people didn't um, shoot people or kill people. But then it also was for me because I realized, oh, I have seven ACEs. And this explains my life. And, um, and that was the beginning of healing for me, that realization. And it has been for many others as well. And Jane, I know that, you know, we know what ACEs is, but so what are seven ACEs? Can you tell us a little bit about what ACEs are? Sure. So ACEs are average childhood experiences, and the, and the ACE studies study 10, although there are many more um, that, um, that you can add in now. But the, the 10 basic ones were um, physical and sexual um, and emotional abuse, um, watching um, a, your um, mother being abused, um, having a, a um, person who was in your family who was incarcerated, um, having a, um, a parent uh, or guardian who was addicted to alcohol, um, or... Um, uh, or some other substance, or someone being um, uh, depressed or having some other mental illness. And so was there some correlation between the number of ACEs and your mental and physical well-being? Uh, it was stunning, and, uh, and it stunned the people who were doing the study because there had been a lot of research about individual um, of, of these ACEs, but not all together. So what they realized that is when you start having more so say someone has four of these ACEs, and that's very common. I mean, in California, it's uh, 12%. Um, it's probably more now since the ACE study was done in 1998. 
um, because it seems to be increasing generationally. Well, I'll just but, say, Jane, I have four. So you're yeah. talking about me then. Right. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> exactly. Okay. And you obviously and a yes. lot of people out there. Um, so four ACEs, it increases your, your risk of becoming an alcoholic by 700%, by uh, in attempting suicide by 1,200%. It doubles your risk of uh, cancer and heart disease. I mean, it just... It just accelerates the damage that is done in your body when you have that many ACEs. And, and the thing about the different ACEs is people say, well, um, how come is one worse than another? And it's not um, because once the stress gets to your brain, your brain can't tell the difference between stress from sexual abuse or stress from divorce. And I think what hits me about when you're talking about this, this is really we're just children and this affects the biology of our human nervous system. So it's not our fault that these things develop. And so I think that is what I've heard about ACEs that people, like you said, ah, now it makes sense. And also it can, can you think it takes some of the shame out of some of the experiences that some of us have had as a result of knowing about ACEs? Definitely. It definitely takes away the shame because you aren't born bad. The things that happened to you, you had no control over. Um, you, um, uh, the third thing is that however you coped was appropriate if you weren't given any, any positive ways of coping. So drinking or um, overeating or um, being angry um, and, and being violent, all those are perfectly normal responses to an abnormal condition. And the fourth important piece is that you can heal. That you can heal. And that was kind of my next question. And I've been asking this question since I started the show. I'm going to ask it a little, a little bit right now. But I also, it's like, what, what helped you get through that childhood that, where you had seven aces? What, was there anything in particular, people, places? What was it? I had a, a remarkable grandmother <laughs> who was just there for me when I needed her. And I needed somebody. Um, I had a father who was attentive um, for the time he was there, but then my parents divorced. And then I had great education and remarkable friends. That's what got me through. You know, it's so interesting. My very first guest, Brian Robinson, said the same thing about his grandmother, that she provided that unconditional, you know, love that he often didn't get in his um, in his home where he grew up. And I have to say that was the same thing with me. We used to call her Abuelita Linda. She yeah. was a beautiful grandmother. She was from El Salvador. But yeah. I often think that she maybe saved my life in terms of me being a healthier person. So, and that's, you know, kind of bring me to the next question, because here we've heard about ACEs, but now there's PACEs. Mm-hmm. And so, can you tell us about PACEs and how did this evolve that you decided to add the P? Yep, adding the P, and we'll be doing, we're, this is brand new, we're just starting to do this in our own organization, so ACES Connection will become PACES Connection, and that's because of some um, really good research that Christy Bethel uh, did, she's from Johns Hopkins, about positive childhood experiences, and so as the ACE study uh, principles um, looked at 10 ACEs, she looked at seven positive childhood experiences. Um, I think it'd be useful to name them because I think that people might be interested. 
I don't I don't rattle them off like I do aces, but I'm I'll go well. There. Let's hear what they are because I think we all need to know what they are. I, yeah. I am familiar with her work too, and I'll add something after you add the seven. Yes, go oh, ahead. Good. Okay, good. Um, uh, are you able to talk with your family about your feelings? Do you feel that your family stands by you during difficult times? Um, did you enjoy participating in community traditions? Uh, do you feel a sense of belonging in high school? Did you feel supported by friends? Did you have at least two non-parent adults who took genuine interest in you? And do you, did you feel safe and protected by an adult in your home? So those six. Wow. So she's found that if you had those, that those buffered the effects of the adverse childhood experiences. Right. Now, I read something else that she, that she um, brought out in one of the uh, research that she did, and that is she looked at what her definition of resilience was a child's ability to stay calm when faced with a challenge, mm. and that she found that when children could do that, they did better in school, they had better relationships with other, their, um, with other children, and I thought, oh, my goodness, improved school informants, their ability to stay calm when faced with a challenge. So all those six things that you just mentioned are one of the ways and how we learn how to stay calm. I have some other ideas about it as well, which is the community resiliency model, which is a model that I helped to develop, that we teach people how to recognize inside their body when they're not calm and when they're calm. And when they can tell the difference they can bring themselves into that state of calm. So I think we're all on the same wavelength about paces. I love that you've added the P. So please continue. You, I, I yeah, could feel there's some more to say about this. Yes. <laughs> it, because it, this, re, this research is remarkable for another reason. It's not just that you have or you don't have aces and paces, you know, because you have both, you know. Um, but if you, if you don't have... If you ha- don't have ACEs, but you don't have positive childhood experiences, you're going to be in worse shape than if you had ACEs. Oh, my. That is fascinating. Yeah. So that's another whole element. Right. That what if you didn't have that? These are really important ingredients of making healthy children and also, also having adults who have a greater sense of not only physical well-being, but mental health. Yes, Exactly. And whether you think that your world is a safe place or not. So, um, are there anything, any things that you're doing within your ACEs connection now to bring out PACEs? Are there new initiatives that you're going to be doing? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I'm so excited about this, this shift. <laughs> well, this is the first place that we've actually announced it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I am very pleased to be there, that first place on our, our Resiliency Within talk show. Yay. Exactly. Um, so we're changing the name of Aces Connection to Paces Connection. Um, we're, uh, we have to do a complete overhaul of the site because everything is Aces Connection and, and with that, that uh, approach, but now it's Paces. So it's, um, and we're on the beginning of this just as we were with Aces. So it will be evolving as time goes on. So we'll be t- paying a lot of attention to it and how people are using it and integrating it and figuring out how to integrate it, just as you were talking about in your communities. Like, yes. how do you integrate this? Well, we don't know yet, but we're going to figure it out. Well, and, and as you're talking about this too, you know, I, long ago, um, I remember reading something about Mother Teresa 
And I often say this because I loved, I just loved to read about her. And she was so spunky. And, you know, she started, you know, her, her mission serving, you know, people that were dying in Calcutta. When she was well advanced in her age when she started doing that, that whole mission. But one of the things that I think someone was asking her, we want you to be involved in an, uh, in an anti-war mo- uh, march with us. And she said, well, I don't really like to be involved in, I think, in an anti-war march, but if you make it a peace march, I'll be there. <laughs> and so somehow I'm thinking about adding the positive to ACEs is kind of is also um, a semantic change that I think is really important to what you and I both believe in, which is how to cultivate resiliency. Because any of you that are sitting out there going, oh, when Jane was talking, I, I have four or more too. What does that mean about me? Should I go to the doctor today? I, I don't know if I can even get an appointment. So I think it's also cultivating well, what else is true, right? Just even what else was true for you or for me, that we both had grandmothers that mm-hmm. cultivated our well being that we knew we were loved. And isn't that an important thing? Oh, so important. So I, I kind of want to do a little segue right now, because what we've been hearing a lot about, of course, and what we're all living through is the pandemic. And that parents, caregivers, um, teachers, I think society in general are so concerned about our children and not being in school and what's happening to them. I know I just read about one school district that decided to go ahead and you know, start having more of a hybrid approach because there were a number of suicides of children in their school. And so how would you say that the pandemic will be another adverse childhood experience for some children to add to those other, the other lists that you mentioned earlier? I definitely think so. There's no doubt about it. It won't be that way for everybody because everybody's situation is different, but you can look at those, those six um, cases that I rattled off and, and those are, uh, if kids don't have those now uh, and they have other ACEs in the, in the household, um, yeah, this is going to be really tough for them. And it's also tough for parents because their parents are being re-triggered. So I'm wondering, I mean, has there been any thinking on your part about how caregivers can cultivate more positive experiences for children during this pandemic? So I know I'm putting you on the spot. This is a, a big question, and we probably both could, could, you know, could think of some things. So, but what are some things that you think that parents could do right now that are listening to our show today? Well, I think it's um, what's interesting about taking um, a a description of this as paces rather than just fo- focusing on the positive is the recognition it's okay to talk about the adversity as long as you also talk about the positive experiences. And rec- if you recognize the adversity and talk about that, then you can make the segue to saying, okay, how can we, how can we feel better now? Or what can we do to, to make things better? You know, maybe we can't do everything we'd like to do, but what, what's, what small thing can we do? You know, what connection can, who can we call so that, um, you know, for right this moment when you're feeling so down and so bad, who can we call that, you know, would cheer you up? You know, it's, 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 it's using all those six things to, in creative ways to make that happen. And then the, the other thing is for when, when schools do come back in session, that um, the teachers and administration are trained, <laughs> hopefully with, with um, your techniques, so that they can assist these kids. Um, and because, you know, kids are, um, uh, kids' brains are malleable. You know, they, they, if, you pro- if you provide those 
positive experiences, they can heal from the negative experiences. And so what's really important about that, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the science of that, because I think it's important for people to know when we can say the brain can change. How do you know that, Jane, that the brain can change? What is it that when you say that children's brains are malleable, what does that mean? Well, um, there's some research that shows that you can actually, you can actually see the changes on, the, on MRIs. Um, so that um, there's one, uh, some, some research that's been done that has been looking at kids who have a lot of ACEs and then they're provided very intensive therapy um, and um, um, that focuses on their trauma. And they can measure their brains afterwards and they can see changes in the brain. Um, besides just the kids feeling better and doing better. So, so it is, uh, and now there's uh, research that's being done to kind of figure out, well, how can we measure those changes on a hormonal level? Um, and, and so I think that pretty soon we'll be able to get um, more clinical information about it. But, you know, the thing is that, that um, if you don't have access to that, it's just a given because we're human beings that if you overstress a human being, there's going to be consequences. And so you have to be mindful that if you, if you have a, a kid that's, that's overstressed to make sure that you are providing the positive experiences too, maybe longer than you anticipate because it was so severe in the first place. But the kid will tell you. And, you know, I think that kind of comes the, this new continuum that I often talk about in the work that I do is that, and I learned some of this from you when, you know, you think about conventional thinking that if a child has a behavior that's upsetting to the school, let's say, you know, many times the, the conventional thinking was saying, well, that kid's just a bad kid. And then what happened, I think, with ACEs, with which I think you helped to bring forward and, and other people as well, is to say, well, what about trauma-informed? What happened to that child? So that's going to be an important question, is what happened to that child during the pandemic? Was he or she or they in an enriched environment that helped them to um, expand and grow even though they couldn't do their regular activities? Or was their experience more limited and, and more closed so they didn't have some of those experiences that Dr. Christina Bethel talked about? I think that's going to be an important thing. But I think that the other, the third part of the arm that I often talk about is what I say is resiliency informed. And that's what to me what the P is. And tell me if I'm wrong about this, but what else is true? What are your strengths? Who in your life do you, can you talk to sometimes that may make you feel better? And what I've also seen, I'd be really interested if Christina could do some research about this, because sometimes the person may not be a person that's in your life, but we also live in a magical field. And so many people have told me, oh, my books helped me get through. And I often, there was one client I had once that said to me, I'm, you know, I'm in my 60s, and there used to be this show, you probably remember, um, called Father Knows Best. And in that show called Father Knows Best, right? He was the best father ever, right? And so um, she said, I used to think that he was my father. And so when I would have struggles and my father was stern with me, I'd say, well, what would Father Knows Best say to me? So she was actually creating, I think, new pathways in her brain about what it could be like. And I think as human beings, we have this rich imaginal field that sometimes we can also link into that helps us. So that's what I'm hoping for as well as we come out of this pandemic, that not only of the things that you were saying, but that we can cultivate um, 
also how to help children to create what else is true after the pandemic if they had a more narrow um, uh, perspective because of their lived experience and what they had to go through. So we're almost, we're going to be getting ready soon for our break. So I'm just wondering, as we talk about the ACE of science, is there anything else you think is really important for our listeners to know? Because some people may never have heard of ACEs before, and now we have PACEs. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the really like the key parts of it that you think are so necessary for us to know about, Jane? Well, I think the thing that's really necessary with looking at paces um, or positive experiences and adverse experiences is that they work together. And a lot of people will say, oh, I don't really want to look at my ACEs. I just, I just want to dwell on the positive. And that's not a good thing because if you don't know why you got to where you are, um, then you're not going to deal with that. And you're, you won't heal unless you're able to actually deal with the past. Now, it doesn't mean you have to start with your ACEs first. Why not start with your positive experiences first? And in fact, I know a child psychiatrist who does just that, um, you know, talking with kids who have a lot of, a lot of problems, and a lot of adversity. And what he'll say is, Look at you. Look how strong you are. Look how you, I mean, you're here in this office today. You're alive and you're doing this and you're doing that. And, and that makes all the, <clears throat> excuse me, all the difference in the world. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I am here and I did do well. And, and, and then you can go and explore um, what happened to you to where to um, uh, have you make the decisions that you made usually good decisions, but had you do the things that you were doing that that you'd rather not do anymore because they hurt you. Well, I think the other thing that, you know, not everyone has um, therapists available to them or psychiatrists available to them who suffer. But I've also seen so much around the world. I call them the natural leaders of our communities. It could be the youth pastor. It could be the person who works at the boy and girls club. Um, It could be um, a person who lives on your street that you can go talk to on their porch and makes you feel that, that kind of special way. Um, I remember I was in, I was in uh, Connecticut and there was a young woman who had had a very difficult life. And I said to her, you know, how did you get through? And she said, well, it was really difficult because both of her parents were drug addicts. And she said, but I had a fourth grade teacher and that fourth grade teacher believed in me. And I only had her for one year. And this was a person who was getting her doctorate degree. She goes, but she believed that in something that I couldn't see in myself yet, but she saw it. And she gave me that hope that something else, that I wouldn't always have to live in this kind of situation. And I think there is something about cultivating hope that is so amazing for, for children and for adults. And that's what I, what, what I think for me with ACEs, that I think it's really important for all the adults to know that are listening, that you can cultivate that now, that hope is possible, that you can start paying attention to the well-being that exists inside of you and doing what we're talking about. You know, what are your strengths? Maybe you've had a lot of tough times, but there's other things that have been true about your life as well. And of course, you may know, Jane, that I'm a big believer in sensing that we have these three portals, what we think, what we feel, but also what we sense. And I think what you said is right about the, that there's been distressing things that have happened to most of us. But if we just focus on the distress, then that kind of bucket gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But then if we could start even slowly cultivating 
little sparkles of our resiliency and like what else is true or, oh, that's right. I had that, that one teacher that really did say to me once that maybe I was worth something, that I think those kinds of things can make such a big difference um, yeah, for you. all of us. I don't know what you think about that, but I think those are important. I think so. There's a, um, there's a pastor, a former pastor now um, uh, in the Central Valley um, named Dave Lockridge, and he combined the Bible with uh, ACEs and, um, and psychology and, um, and took it to the missions. And there was a, a one woman that he was uh, in the class that he was teaching combining this. And she had been um, uh, sexually abused by her uncle. And she told her parents and her parents said, you're a dirty girl, don't talk dirty. Um, and, um, and she was mortified and she decided that she was a dirty girl then and just went off the deep end for many years. She heard Dave say, um, about all this, um, um, you know, this, the positive piece and, and why she was doing what she was doing. And she said, you mean I'm not a dirty girl? No. I know. It's just, it, it was, was like, boom, just switched her whole story about herself. Oh, Jane, that is a very hopeful story. And it's a good story for us to be thinking about as we go into our break. We'll just be, we'll take a break for a couple minutes and we will come back and hear more from Jane about talking about her perspectives about some current world events. All right, we'll be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elaine miller Karras book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. 
Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hello, this is Resiliency Within, and I am with Jane Stevens, and we're going to continue our conversation. So, Jane, we have been, we've had quite a heck of a few years, haven't we, in the U.S., and, you know, we do have listeners that are listening to us from around the world as well, and each country has their challenges. Um, but you, you were talking to me beforehand, I thought your perspectives were interesting, about aces and mob violence, so that's what I'm going to start with. You shared with me that... Um, you have some ideas about that, and I'm going to just ask you just to share a little bit about what your thinking is about that. So um, there's a little history to it. Last year, when Mary Trump came out with her book about her uncle, um, and I, I thought, aha, finally, I'll get the inside scoop because I, I figured that he had a lot of aces um, because... Um, uh, I think that that was pretty apparent. He seems like not a very happy man. Um, and, um, and so, sure enough, um, I, I, I read the book and it was very clear that he has um, at least six aces. And, and more than that, he had a, a lot of, um, uh, uh, he, he didn't have parents who were particularly um, attentive to him the first couple of years of his life. I mean, it's, it's actually quite sad. So there's no, um, there's, it's, it's, it's really um, amazing that he was able to survive the way he did. And I think it was because he had his wealth to buffer him. Um, but he had a, he was a, he's a very unhappy guy, very lonely. I mean, he said that, that he doesn't have any friends. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm saying all this not to have people feel sorry for him, but to understand him. Um, and, and a lot of people said he's a, a narcissist, and, and I think that the definition holds for them. But then what happened on January 6th, um, that was almost magnified it more, because I think that people who are leaders and have these many aces, and you can go back in history and, and look at that. Um, they will attract people around them who are also very unhappy. And so, um, and unhappiness, you know, as a definition, um, is people who, who um, go do things like storm the Capitol building and threaten to hang people and to, you know, guillotine them. Um, you, don't, you, don't, um, you don't do that if you're a happy person. You don't do that if you've had a, had a well-adjusted childhood and you've had opportunities um, that uh, can see you through in life. And when you, when you grow up into a country where economics has been worse and worse and worse for every generation, uh, it just makes 
ever more difficult for people to become healthy or to recover. But Jan, I also want to ask you a question about, well, you know, there's lots of people that are unhappy and that have had adverse child experiences, but they don't um, go to the, the capital and become involved with mob violence. So can you help me sort that out as you're speaking about it? I'm saying, well, that would be not true about everybody. So what in your thinking about ACEs would have prompted this to happen while other people might just sit and say, I'm, I'm sad or I'm angry, but don't act? So I don't think we really understand why people, uh, how people cope um, the way they do when they have ACEs. Because some people get extraordinarily angry and violent, and some people get extraordinarily depressed. Others get anxious or some combination of the two or the three. Um, I don't know that we really understand that, except that you're exposed to the thing that will snag you, you know, if you will. Um, um, for, so some people who, who um, have high ACEs are, grow up in a place where, or in a household where there's a lot of anger. And so that's, that, that's sort of like, it's okay to be angry, you know, because my parents did that. And so I think that, that acceptable path is um, one way to look at it. But it's, um, it's, it's uh, I, I said earlier that I think that there's a generational increase in ACEs. And sure enough, Idaho just did their, ACE, their state ACE survey. And, uh, and, I, and I think I said that, um, yeah, I did earlier that the ACE study showed that there are 12% of people had ACEs, uh, ACE score four or higher. And in, in uh, Idaho, 23%. Wow. So did they say why they think that there's such a high amount of ACEs in Idaho? Well, I just learned that a couple of weeks ago. And of course, it's on my radar to do a story about, <laughs> like, why did this happen? Uh, but I think that there is something to, to the generational increase. Because if you look at uh, some of the later um, uh, studies, they... Um, they show an increase. And obviously, we know there's uh, higher ACE scores within uh, people who are more disadvantaged. And so in our country, it's the um, poor people of color who have, uh, don't have as many advantages. And so they have a higher ACEs burden. But everybody has ACEs. I mean, look at Trump. He has... He's had very wealthy and has ACEs. No, I haven't. In my own experience, I've known very wealthy people that have had 10 ACEs. Um, and they may have been literally ignored by their very well, wealthy parents. Sometimes their that one person for them wasn't their grandmother, but their their nanny, who they had those those very strong relationships with. So you know, but the other aspect of this, I'm 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 really a person who's always tried to say, how do we come together? And you know, we had we we had this election, and what is it, 70, 70 or so million people voted for Trump, 80 million for, for Biden. That's a lot of people that, that uh, supported him. And so how do we now, knowing about adverse child experiences, and because we both have been on the planet for a little while, mm-hmm. how do we bring people together so that we can have a common dialogue so that we don't have to live with so much divisiveness and have more unity, even if people think differently about you know, who should be the president of the United States. I'm, I'm really interested in how we cultivate that resiliency. So I think that it's definitely going to take some effort and it's going to take uh, some willingness to be uncomfortable. Um, and, uh, but there are organizations that, um, 
that uh, facilitate this kind of thing. And one is called Living Room Conversations. And, um, and so um, I think that if people learn about PACES science, that they can have a conversation about that um, uh, as, as well as other things. Because I think if we learn that we're, there is no them and us, you know, it's just us. It's a we. It's a we. It's a we, absolutely. Yes. And um, that anybody who experiences seven aces is going to have some sort of consequences for themselves, for the people around them, for their family, for their community. In the case of Trump, you know, who's a leader, a lot of influence and can do more damage than just, you know, one person who is not a leader. Um, I think that... Um, that massive education has got to take place. You know, in the organization that I started called the Trauma Resource Institute, that they have, we have a, an equity, diversity, and inclusion committee. And one of the banners of the, of the wonderful young people that are working on this committee that really represent different races, different sexual orientations, um, different religions, is that we have to move from otherness to us. And I love that they came up with that. Um, I didn't come up with that. They did. But that's kind of a hallmark uh, kind of uh, principle of the Trauma Resource Institute. But I'd say, how do we become an us? And maybe living room conversations or that. But I'm wondering when we talk about ACEs, because there's something in our biology. If we are always in states of distress, we would have a tendency of having views that are distressing. I mean, we could have a more negativistic view about the world because we do have a negativity focus. And I know that's based in science. We know that our amygdala, that part of our brain that you know is our appraisal system, if all we're seeing is the bad, then it's hard for us to see what else could be true. And that's my concern about the way that we get information. And I hear you, I'm talking to a journalist. And I'm wondering about if you have some perspectives about that, because I, I get concerned about that in terms of social media, and if we only listen to a certain perspective, we're not getting the wide spectrum. Like I grew up with Walter Cronkite and I believed him, you know, but I don't know if we have that same, you know, anchor um, or anchors. So it's hard to know well, what is true and what's not true. You know, it's funny that you say that because I'm actually working on an article now about that because um, my point of view is if the, if the media keeps doing the way it's been you know, for these last, you know, several decades, um, then I think we're sunk because unfortunately uh, what they teach a lot in journalism school is that journalism is conflict. And, you know, if that were true as a science journalist, I would, I would not have a job because I would say 90% of my work is not conflict-oriented, it's, it's, it's explanatory. And so there's a really great organization out there started by um, one of the co-founders is David Bornstein, and, um, and it's called Solutions Journalism. And it um, encourages journalists to start thinking about, well, you're focusing on all the stuff that isn't working, but What's just as important to people is what is working. Yes. Don't confuse it with good news. We need the stuff that works so we can make things better. And, um, and so I think that, that um, that's really, really important. 
It's, it's people don't want uh, just the bad news. In fact, they'll, they'll turn out um, or tune out if they hear bad news all the time. They really do want, well, how do we make it better? Who's doing it um, in another community in a way that we could emulate or that we could borrow from? People want solutions. And, and so I think that, that um, yeah, so that's all what I'll be talking about. Well, and I think that, you know, when we talk about solutions, you and I were talking before the show about the opioid crisis, which is what we hear is just it's abysmal. We hear about the deaths. We hear about what happens to children whose parents are using and yet you told me, and I would love for you to share with the, with the audience, and I have to find this, this gentleman and get him on the show, but tell us about that because I said 100% effectiveness. I was like, I'm going, really? Tell us about this person in, um, in the South that's doing this work. Right. So it's, uh, I'll tell you two stories because okay. they're both really good. Um, very innovative, um, um, forward-thinking people. Um, one is Dr. Dan Sumrock, and he's uh, a physician and family physician in Tennessee, and most of his patients are opioid patients. <laughs> Excuse me. And he, he integrated um, um, ACEs science into his practice, and he also does group therapy with all his patients. So those two things are different than I think a lot of uh, family uh, docs. And so how he integrated ACEs was he realized that these people are, don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. And so he had them take uh, an ACE uh, test, you know, the 10 ACEs, before they came in to see him. And, um, and there, it usually would be like two or three ACEs. And so then he would, <clears throat> he would run through the, through the entire test with them face-to-face. And it would always be seven, eight, nine. And they would always say, Two things. One, um, you mean I'm not crazy? Yeah. And secondly, um, I didn't know that these were aces. I, everybody has them, you know, and that was true. So there so, was a commonality that they experienced about, oh, my gosh, you too? Yeah. You had these things too? So yeah. it, it really then became the otherness to the us, yes. right? Yeah. What we're talking about. So and then, so that it was like it just it just took down the walls between people. It's like, oh well, that again that explains my life, and how can we help each other? So and so then the how so there was there was a human contact which I love, in terms of being able to talk to one another, which is a little bit more of a challenge right now with um with the pandemic, right. but you also gave me a statistic about their recovery. So, there, so he has done research. And so tell us about the, the, that, that incredible statistic. Um, 100% of the 1,200 patients that he did research on um, recovered. They all had jobs. And that's a, a mark of recovery. And so we need to know more about that, that they had I, jobs, that they were able to put their lives back online again after becoming derailed. Right. And he didn't give up on them. And he actually did some research with the uh, University of Tennessee folks um, and found that um, uh, people who have higher ACE scores uh, have more relapses. And our, our opioid clinics tend to give up on people who, rela- who relapse, you know, one or more or two or more times. And, and these people might relapse, you know, seven or eight times. They need that. If you have higher ACE scores, it's likely you're going to need more help. I see. And so, you know, this has been a theme that we've talked about even in our first half an hour, is that there's a structure that needs to be put into place. Yeah. 
for people to understand, whether it's a person who's trying to recover from an opioid addiction, whether it is somebody who is struggling in school. I mean, there's a common denominator because our adverse childhood experiences can impact our abilities to learn. It can, it can impact our ability to keep a job. It can also be a, a determinant of possibly having an addiction that can lead to not only our personal demise, but um, st- suffering within our families. And so let, can we talk a little bit, you know, we have a little bit of time that we can talk about the structure. So if you're, if, if wishes were horses, my <laughs> old boss at Stanford used to say, and you had a magic wand and you could make the structure um, in every community in the United States and abroad, what would it look like? What would you want people to know and learn and do in order to make this movement continue that you have started so beautifully? Well, this is exactly where I'm working right now. Um, so it was like, <laughs> thank you for asking that question. Okay, you're um, welcome. We think from what we've seen so far that if you take the amazing uh, work that's been done like Dan Sumrock in Tennessee and, um, and Plymouth County in Massachusetts and, and Nadine Burke Harris in California. I mean, there's lots of sector-based accomplishments um, and remarkable changes. You know, schools that no longer suspend or expel their students. You know, it's just like, yes, we can do this. Better interventions courses that, that reduce recidivism from 60% to 1%. I mean, it's just stunning that can happen. So if you do that across a community in every single organization, educate them about um, pace of science, and then start measuring the outcomes, and then having people work together to improve those outcomes, then you'll start seeing changes. Now, what that will lead to um, is kind of like what happened with uh, firefighters. You know, in the, at the turn of the, uh, two turns of the centuries ago, um, there were um, uh, fire stations almost on every corner because in the communities, there, you know, communities were built of wood, there weren't um, fire escapes, I mean, there weren't, um, I mean, you could go on and on about all the things that, that, um, that, that led to fire in a community. And one by one, those were changed. So now... Firefighters only spend 30% of their, of their work life on fighting fires. The rest is emergency um, uh, response, you know, health. So we can do the same with police, you know, with, with, um, with our judicial system. You know, we won't need so much of that. And we can put more of it, more of it into housing and education and recreation and um, building healthier people. Well, there was one other there was one other program that you mentioned to me that I because I, I was an old perinatal social worker in my early days, but it's the Safe Baby Courts. Yes. Could you just talk a little bit about that? Because uh, I think this is also connected to structure tr- structural change that we're talking about. Absolutely, and this is sort of like a microcosm of what could happen in, in a community. So, uh, in Safe Babies Courts, which was uh, started by Zero to Three organization in many states across the country, and I think Florida has done the best job of, um, of, of uh, running with it, is that what they do, instead of saying, 
okay, there's child abuse here. We're going to separate the kid from the, from the parents until they get their act together. And we know from ACEs that that's adding another ACE or, or two to the family and to the individuals. Um, so safe babies courts are saying, okay, this family is obviously um, uh, having troubles if it's hurting one of their children. So let's bring every kind of help we can to them. And that means um, making sure that they're getting the best schooling, that the parents are getting um, uh, employment or rehabilitation services, you know, whatever the, the family needs, not just the child, but the family and maybe even the extended family. Give them everything they need and be on them. Instead of saying, well, we'll check in in six months, check in every three weeks, whatever it takes. They did that and they found that 99% of the kids after a year, a year after they, they completed Safe Babies Court's um, um, project, 99% suffered no further abuse. That is amazing. And I, you know, when, you, when you've been talking today, it's been really, I love when, when you were telling me about also the, um, the solution-focused journalism is that I think this is what we're talking about regarding every sector of society. Absolutely. What else can be true? Yeah. And when we think about even social policy, we need to think about, well, you you know, because think about how we've traditionally treated addicts. You're bad. But yeah. now we're saying something happened to you. Yeah. And not only did something happen to you, but like that doctor in Tennessee, what's right about you? Let's tell you about what happened. And now let's see what can be right about you to continue your life in the way that you want your lived experience to be. So this has been um, as sad as adverse child experiences are. I'm sad that you had seven and I had four and our listeners, I imagine, are counting them up. I think that I'm hoping that you all, all heard as we're getting ready to end our show today, just, you know, the hope that's possible. That, you know, I often say that we can create new neuronal pathways because I like science, right? And if we start cultivating that well-being and our resiliency, not only individually, but in our communities, that who knows what we can change. And when I hear about those, those baby courts, I mean, I can bring tears to my eyes because there are little precious beings and the parents need help. And so yeah. providing that kind of help in that way, that's the kind of social policy structural change that can really change society. So, um, Jane, in our one minute that we have left, anything that you want to say? What do you want the listeners to know how to find you? Can you repeat your, your websites? Sure. It's acesconnection.com, and please join. It's a social network, and, and we have um, a lot of great information on there, and you'll meet a lot of really wonderful, amazing people. Um, and then Aces Too High is a news site uh, for the general public, and um, I'll be posting that, the, the story that I did about uh, the mob and Donald Trump up there um, uh, yes. tomorrow. And I think that, you know, thank you for your, your kindness and in looking at this from this adverse child experiences perspective about maybe how we can come together, I want to remind you all that um, to think about what else is true in your own life. And remember that, you know, we have an app that the Trauma Resource Institute has developed called iChill, and you can get it on a smartphone and you can learn these resiliency skills to help cultivate your individual resiliency Then that helps your family helps your community in terms of how we walk through the world 
in looking at what you said. What are the solutions? And also, journalists, if you're listening, we need to not only focus on what the negative things are, but what's working. And and Jane Stevens, you're doing that. And again, I bow to you and the work that you're doing through PACES. I'm going to start calling PACES now. Good. And you bet we're going to have to change a lot of stuff that I've been teaching in the Trauma Resource Institute to get this new information out there. And you bet that we will. So, so thank you so much. And, thank you and so much. Yes, thank you so much. And, <laughs> and listeners, uh, I will be with you uh, next week. We're going to have two amazing healthcare providers, Dr. Deborah Small and Dr. Lindy Grabby, that will talk about some of the anguish of healthcare providers. And very importantly, what, how are they getting through and what are their ideas to help healthcare providers and others get through these difficult times of the pandemic? So again, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jane. More conversations I know we'll have in the future. Looking forward to it. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. <music>